0: Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world, both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and the other people who made him the boxer and man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, and being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Barres wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Can Andy Dalton support the Cowboys? Chase Claypool goes wild. And Lamar Jackson, not the QB1, like some people were expecting. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Roto-Viz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet. Online, i'm dave caben senior fantasy analyst at rotoviz joined by the editor-in-chief of fantasy labs part of the action network matt friedman um bit of another uh odd week for us here matt as we're going to be recording do- during a monday night game of course there's still a game to be played on tuesday naturally we won't be hitting upon those games But we have five weeks behind us, and unfortunately, we have a major injury that we need to talk about tonight, with that being Dak Prescott. He's already had surgery. Looks like he could be out four to six months. Let's just talk about that, and uh, you you can take us through what you think that means for the rest of the team with Andy Dalton stepping into that role for Dallas. I suppose, at the very least, the silver lining here as a Cowboys fan and hope, you know, assuming that Dak recovers well and all of that, is that you do have maybe the best backup out there to come in and take
1: over this team. So Dalton is, I don't know, uh, he's fine. I mean, maybe he's the the best backup in the league. I, I really don't know. But, um, you know, Chris Wessling of uh, NFL Network has had the Dalton scale, uh, which is sort of like his, you know, Dalton as the, prime meridian line between like if a quarterback is above Andy Dalton then he's good and he's someone who can sort of like uplift the talent around him and if he's bad then he's below Dalton and uh if he's Andy Dalton he's like right in the middle where uh he's just sort of impacted by all of the other players around him uh and so he's in a really good situation and we've seen him have uh I'd say like outlier seasons for him when he's had great talent around him. That's what he has now with, you know, probably the best trio of wide receivers in the league, if not the best, like top three. Um, Dalton Schultz is surprisingly good for a tight end and then Ezekiel Elliott. So uh, it's a good situation for him. I think it's going to be, I mean, this feels like it should go without saying, but you know, like a net negative for the entire offense uh, I think they will try to do something kind of similar to what they've been doing. Like, I think they will continue to run a lot of three wide receiver sets, probably continue to play fast. So all of that will make Andy Dalton fantasy viable, but I think he will be less efficient than Dak, which will just mean, you know, fewer scoring opportunities, fewer yards, fewer opportunities, really everything in general for all of the other guys in that offense, except for maybe Ezekiel Elliott. Like maybe he gets a few more carries per game because maybe they lean a little bit more on the run. But in general, great for Andy Dalton uh, not so great for everyone else.
0: Yeah. we talked to, uh, I think it was even last week about how Michael Gallup had lost that status as a guy that could be locked in there every week. And that surely doesn't help. Um, I have to imagine though, that you still view Amari Cooper and Ceedee lamb as guys that you're putting in your lineup, no matter what, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, Amari has always been, um, very volatile based on the matchup that he has specifically the cornerback, that he's going against. So, you know, if Amari has been uh on the road, that's you know, just for some some weird <laughs> some weird reason. It's always been a negative thing for him or if he's been going against uh, a really physical cornerback. Uh and James Bradbury uh who played against him this past week, it's that description and you know someone who uh would shadow a guy and then really man him up. Uh Bradbury's like one of the few really kind of larger physical press corners who can handle guys like Mike Evans, uh, Julio Jones. And so uh, Amari is like no big deal to him. Uh, And so, yeah, Amari had a bad week and that, you know, I think was directly correlated with the matchup. Um, When we see him have good matchups uh, or have, uh, you know, good situations in general, I think he will be a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two. And then when he's not in those circumstances, you you still have to start him, uh, you know, unless your team is just amazing. You still have to start him, but you just have to adjust your expectations down to something like a high-end wide receiver three with upside.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then so really it's going to be uh, the big question for me is how much tight end usage we see coming from Dalton now in this offense, uh, which would be a shame if there's a big decrease there because Schultz was stepping up as a guy on some of my teams that was filling in and was really crushing for me. So hopefully that can, you know what I
1: I actually, I believe in, uh, like, uh, things that don't make any sense. And so I think the Andy Dalton Schultz stack is going to be a a good thing for the tight end, but that might be the only like positive thing that comes out of this just because they shared the same name. So they, they already have that. That nominal connection.
0: Well, that's the type of analysis I think that people are here for. Um, Sammy Watkins could be out a couple of weeks. Um, what I want to get from you is your sense of between Nicole Hardman and DeMarcus Robinson at this point, who is the wide receiver that you think has the best chance of stepping in and taking over that wide receiver two role while Watkins
1: is out? I mean, it's Miko Hardman, I, I would assume. Uh, you know, we really haven't seen a lot of targets get funneled to Demarcus Robinson for most of the season. Uh, and we have seen the target share for Hardman uh, go up and up, and you know, th- that correlates with an increase in the number of routes run and the number of snaps played. Uh, this is sort of the scenario that Michael Hardman investors, uh, I don't want to say we're hoping for because it's not like you want to hope for Sammy Watkins to get injured, but you know, like banking on the fact that somehow he would be able to get more opportunities, whether it's just by beating out uh, someone or by just one of the three wide receivers ahead of him, because it really could have been anybody, but just one of the three wide receivers ahead of him suffering an injury.
0: Yeah. And, as you alluded to, we, we've seen now, Demarcus Robinson had a good start to the season from the perspective of targets. Drew six targets week one, then went down to four, went down to one, um, and then did draw four against the Raiders. But unlike um Hardman, we haven't really seen Robinson improving. So like you, I think that it's Hardman. Having said that, though, This is the Chiefs offense. If you needed to find a player to fill in, this isn't to say that, you know, Robinson doesn't have a chance any other, you know, any given week of putting up 10, 15 fantasy points, something along those lines. It looks like Dalvin Cook avoided major injury. We're going to talk about Alexander Madison later. Any other developments on the injury front that you think we need to address, Matt? Uh, On the injury front? Yeah, not really. Okay. All right. Let's move along. Then Dan Quinn fired as head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, that team off to a terrible start. So it was starting to feel like it was just a matter of time. Second head coach we've seen fired in the season already. Um, what do you think the impact of him being fired will be for Atlanta?
1: Uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's sad, uh, in that I always liked betting against Dan Quinn. Um, he was sort of like my my new Jason Garrett in terms of like someone that you pretty much like bet against no matter what, uh, especially in specific situations. But really, it got to the point where you could just bet against Dan Quinn almost regardless of circumstances. Um, and now he's gone. So, you know, what what am I going to do? There's no clear flow chart to follow. But um, Chris, uh, Chris Raybon wrote a good piece at the Action Network looking at Dan Quinn's against the spread record and kind of talking about how like it actually is a pretty good gauge by which you can evaluate to how good a coach is. And you know, since entering uh the league as a head coach five and a half years ago, um he's been consistently one of the worst against the spread coaches, uh, whether he's favored, whether he's an underdog kind of whatever it is, he's just, he's been bad. Uh, so sad that he's gone in terms of what it means for the offense. Uh, I don't know if it really changes anything for that team. Um, I think they still have sort of the, the imprint of Quinn and general manager, Thomas Dimitrov, who is also released, um, you know, so it's a bad defense uh, and it's an offense that has the ability to get a lot of yards, even if it doesn't get a lot of points. Uh, and so I think it will pretty much just be business as usual. Uh, I expect that the Falcons will be underdogs uh, in a lot of the games that they play for the rest of the year. And that will result in a pretty pass heavy game script. And so although Matt Ryan didn't do much uh, this past week, I think he's you know probably going to be near one of the, the league leaders uh, in passing yardage. And uh, of course, whenever Julio returns, I think this means good things for him and also Calvin Ridley.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, if you're looking at the offense, pretty much all of those same fixers are still in place, especially when you have a quarterback that's been with that team so long, who's been with his top target in Julio Jones for so long. I would be surprised if we see things go radically different. Uh, the player I want to talk to you next uh, is about is Daryl Henderson. Another good game from a fantasy perspective, puts up 21.8 points, um, 15 rushing attempts, only 38 yards, but did manage a touchdown, and then three wrecks on four targets with a receiving touchdown. But it is kind of hard to know what we make of Henderson now, Matt, because. He's a guy now, two weeks in a row, has had good fantasy performances, but is only going for around two and a half yards per carry, which normally I wouldn't care about. But we see Malcolm Brown being more efficient. Cam Akers, right, could start to factor in as the season goes. But at this point, it's looking like Henderson is one of those players who is going to make some zero running back teams very happy if this continues Do we have any more signal now that we are able to determine who the guy in that Rams backfield is going to be and that it will carry forward? Or do you still think this is a mixed
1: bag of outcomes? That's hard to pick the right one. I don't know if there's one locked in guy, but, uh, you know, for the past month, Henderson has looked pretty good, even with, um, the week four game that really wasn't that impressive. He's got three games around that, that were pretty good. And you take it all as a whole, Uh, I mean, he's averaging uh, or, you know, pacing for, you know, like almost 1400 yards from scrimmage. If you just kind of extrapolate that out uh, with an average of a touchdown per game, like that's, that's really good. And even if he doesn't keep the exact role he has now, I think he's still going to be involved. I would expect that acres who I thought looked, you know, like pretty good pretty good last week, even though he didn't get a ton of opportunities, I would expect acres to continue to take more and more of the workload, but I think that will impact Malcolm Brown more than uh, Daryl Henderson. So I, I think, I think Henderson is the guy right now. Um, but I think it's a week to week situation where, uh, if, you know, if Brown has a big game or if acres has a big game, then that guy will probably get first shot to lead the backfield in the next game. And it will probably just be a situation like that for the rest of the season.
0: Right. And acres did pick up 61 yards on nine carries. So I think he did put himself in a positive light, um, in front of the coaching staff in that first game back. So it's not like he didn't do anything to make a case for himself. So we'll have to see how that develops. Another exciting performance, man, Chase Claypool, absolutely exploding. Seven receptions on 11 targets, Matt, 110 yards, three touchdowns, also had three rushing attempts. And as impressive as those numbers are, the thing that really stood out to me Was just how involved the team wanted Claypool to be. Are we now in a situation where Juju Smith
1: Schuster has dropped to the third spot in his wide receiver core? What is going on here? Yeah, uh, I think that that really might be the situation. Although it's it's very possible that when Deontay Johnson comes back from injury yet again, uh, Johnson is the third guy, and Juju, you know, kind of stays as the number two guy out of the slot. But, um. Yeah, I think Claypool, I mean, I don't know, it might be premature because he's only four games in his NFL career, but I think he's the number one. Like I, if I had to project these guys right now for the rest of the season, who has the most fantasy points Uh, and maybe like who has the most fantasy points in total, but maybe also who has the most fantasy points per game. Uh, I think it would be the guy who looks like Calvin Johnson. You know, like, I I think he has to be considered the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. It's crazy uh, because Claypool was one of those guys that
0: had this profile as a player that could be this big, dominant, imposing force. And we're seeing that come to light. And it definitely looks like the Steelers are realizing that. And I think that when you pair him with a quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, in that Steelers offense, man, he is going to be able to just come up yeah. and crush. So it, can we
1: talk, can we talk about him just a little yeah, bit let's more? Do it. Because, yep. you know, like uh fantasy mansion and he's not the only one, but, uh, you know, was talking about how chase Claypool should be a tight end. And I thought that was trash. Uh, you know, especially now it, it looks really foolish, but even then I thought it was trash. Um, you know, he would have been an undersized tight end, Yep. but he clearly had the potential in a, a Mike Evans type of way or a Vincent Jackson type of way with his size and his athleticism to be a big-bodied perimeter wide receiver. One thing that's interesting is that they've actually used him some in the slot, um, and he's he's been good there too. Um, but really they're lining him up all over. Uh, and he's performing and it's not as if like, I, I've always had this kind of back and forth with, um, with age, like breakout age. And then also like breakout experience where like, I think it's a good thing. I'll just say like, I think like in general, it's an inefficiency, especially like five years ago when people really started to pay attention to this stuff, or as this point is probably like seven or eight years ago, but like, it was something that people just totally overlooked then. But I feel like within the um, the Rotoviz echo chamber, yep. like it can be something that maybe is overweighted within the community, which means that people like Chase Claypool who don't break out right away, uh, who are maybe just a little bit older uh, when they they enter the league, um, they tend to be devalued a little bit, um, and so like it's always for me like this question of striking the balance of focusing on the statistics that truly do matter, like the statistics that are predictive and, you know, breakout age uh, and uh, the age at which a guy is when he enters the league, those things really are predictive. Um, But like making sure that you don't miss the upside of someone like Claypool when he enters the league, Um, because he, you know, he did nothing as a freshman, but improved each year throughout college. Um, he was very strong against both man and zone coverage, uh, in, terms of like expected points added, uh, I'm getting this from sports info solutions, like he was right there in his final season, uh, with the rest of the guys in this class. So he had 0.5 expected points added per target. That was the same uh, with Brandon Ayuk. I was higher than Lavisca Chenault, Michael Pittman Jr., Denzel Mims, Jalen Rager. Um, you know, like he—he he really did have like my comp for him was Vincent Jackson with major program pedigree, but far less college production. And I said, uh, and I'm just like reading this from my top 50 rankings. With his talent and skill set, Claypool has the potential for maybe a DK Metcalf-esque rookie season and a Mike Evans-light career. And I would say like. Now it looks like I probably undershot because like he could have just have a straight up Mike Evans type of career. But like the, the point is like he always had this potential. Um, And we are certainly seeing like the outlier on the high range of outcomes for how he's performed to this point in his career. But um maybe he's someone we overlooked just a little bit because he didn't sort of like, check some of the classic road of boxes. But then also I'll just say like to play a little bit of devil's advocate on what I just said. Um, like it would have been so hard to move him above a lot of the other wide receivers in this class, which just speaks to the uh, fantastic depth that the 2020 rookie wide receiver class had where you could basically in the middle of the second round, be drafting a guy who in any other year would have belonged in the first round. Uh, and so, you know, like people will look at Claypool and be like, well, he, you know, he went in the second round of rookie drafts. It's like, yeah, because a lot of other really good guys also went in the second round of rookie drafts.
0: Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what you said there. And one thing that I'm going to mention here before I forget to bring it up, as I was seeing this develop, and we had seen Claypool in week two have a 17-point game, and then we see this starting to happen now. It almost feels to me like they're getting out of Claypool. What they wanted to, in many situations, get out of Martavis Bryant before his career yeah. fell apart. And this is also a guy who's a lot bigger. I think Bryant was about 211. Claypool is almost 240, 238. And then let's just go back, though, and look at this profile quickly. A 75th percentile freak score is 60. His was 90. He had an 86th percentile 40-yard dash. Keep in mind, this man, 238, 6'4", bench press, 83rd percentile, 94th percentile vertical jump, 81st percentile broad. Um, What I think also kind of happened, though, Matt, is he does fit into this mold of one of these players who, if you look at just the athletic measurables, we see names like Doyle, Green Beckham making their way into their... um, Jazz Ferguson, some of these guys that didn't work out. But of course, you also get the DK Metcalfs, you get Andre Johnson, Michael Floyd, who had a good run with the Cardinals for a little bit, Martavis Bryant, who I actually just mentioned. Um, And then, you know, the interesting thing, too, was on the tight end front, and I'm just playing with the Combine Explorer right now, where you can look just at a player physically. If I pop him over to a tight end, I can see guys like Noah Fant, Ladarius Green, Jared Cook, Mike Gesicki, Gerald Everett, George Kittle. So I can kind of see from some perspective where Manchin might have been going with the tight end thoughts. But having said that, I look again at some of the names as the wide receiver. And to me, that just makes a little bit more sense. So I think why uh, just another reason to add to all the things that you said of why we saw him get overlooked in addition to it being the strong class, is because it did look like one of those profiles where he could very easily easily be a bust. And I think that oftentimes when people are drafting, they are trying to avoid the bust, but this is one of those good examples. And again, it's very early where perhaps you're better off to not focus on much. And if the player is going to bust, because very honestly, a lot of round two picks are going to bust and just try
1: to chase that upside. Exactly. Like if, if you're picking in the top six in round one, I think it makes sense to minimize your risk. Uh, in, in whatever fashion you can, um, but yeah, in the second round, I mean, it's it's all upside. Like, it's hard to get a guy with the upside that he has in the second round. Uh, and so, I mean, just fantastic pick for everyone who got him. And uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't want to say like, oh, he's like a uh, dynasty wide receiver one already. But um, the guys who have like first performances as rookies the way that he's already had those guys tend to have really good long careers um yep. especially when you start to take a uh, draft position into account and then college production athleticism so man he's uh, he i like when i update my dynasty rankings i'm really going to have to think about how high i want to put him Yeah. And
0: the other thing, again, that stood out to me was just the way that they were using him. It looked like it was planned. It looked deliberate. And the team definitely realizes that they've gotten a player that they can use in a lot of ways and will deliver for them. And again, this is on a team that's not devoid of talent, right? They have other guys they could have looked to in some of those situations.
1: Um, So I I have to think, you know what it looked like? Yep. It looked like a team that had a bye week and like evaluated (laughs) themselves. It was like, okay, we need to get this guy the ball much more than we did in weeks one through three. You know, like in some way, it might have been a little bit lucky that they had this random bye week pop up uh, like unplanned in week four so that early in the season they could have the time instead of focusing on an opponent they had to play to be able to evaluate themselves and think like, hey, what do we need to do better? Because like I think that was a part of it and yeah, like, they need to feed him at least eight targets every game, probably closer to 10. So b-
0: before we pivot off of uh, Pittsburgh, I just want to close with this. Can we rule that the Steelers
1: are very good at drafting wide receivers? Yes.
0: Yes. All yes.
1: right. I mean, uh, yeah, it's uh, if you just look at the history of what they've done in each draft for the past four years, and that doesn't even take into account Emmanuel Sanders in round three and and Antonio Brown in round six in the same draft. If you just look at the past four years, you have Juju in round two, James Washington, I believe he was in round two, uh, Deontay Johnson in round three, Chase Claypool in round two. Like This is sort of like a run of what the Packers did back in the day when they were just drafting wide receivers in round two and three, and it seemed like everyone they drafted hit. Definitely.
0: All right, let's move along. We spent a while on Pittsburgh. Now we're going to move over to the team that they were actually playing and talk about wide receiver Travis Fulcum. Is it Fulgham or Fulgum? I think it's Fulgum. Fulgum. Ful- All right. Fulgum. I mean, Fulgum. I don't. Know. Sounds like matter. a body part. But either way, um, this man, ten receptions on thirteen targets, one hundred fifty-two receiving yards one receiving touchdown. This is coming off of a week four where he scored, was only targeted three times. But yes, an 152-yard performance with a receiving touchdown. Pretty impressive. And another one of these anecdotal takes that I'm going to have. But as I was seeing him play in this game, he looked to me like a player that was a man, a man. Right. Like he looked well put together, looked physical. Um, I was pretty impressed. So we have a very small sample here. I honestly do not know much of his background. Do you have anything that you can share with us about him?
1: Well, he played at Old Dominion. So smaller school where he was, you know, good. He was dominant. It's not like he broke out at an early age. Uh he was, you know, 21 when he broke out. Um, so it was he's basically like a senior season guy. And then yeah, as you say, like he's got good size. He's six two, six three ish. Um, you know, depending on the weight that you take, uh, like 208 to 215. But it wasn't like incredibly athletic at the at the combine. Um, I don't know. Like I'm just I'm a little bit pessimistic. I know he had a really good performance, um, but he was a sixth rounder and coming from a small school. I just I don't know. Yep. I, I'm probably wrong. And if he does this a few more games, then I'm just going to be like, okay, well, this guy is Victor Cruz. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just I'm I'm a little hesitant, uh, especially because uh, there should be other players coming back who might end up you know bumping him. Uh, to the bench so yeah I I don't know we will see
0: right and I think that's one of the things that you have to keep in mind um, when you are looking at this team but I, I did also want to talk to you Matt about Zach Ertz one at six in this game on Sunday just six receiving yards is it possible that we're really seeing a major Drop off for Zach Ertz, and the team might need to look to some of these other players to fill in, especially while Goddard is unavailable. Um, just as as, as a point here to make, we saw Ertz start off three for seven, 18 yards, five for seven week, two for 42. Best game of the season, seven for 10 against Cincinnati for 70 yards, four at five for nine yards against San Francisco, and then as I said, one for six for six yards over the weekend. I am now looking very wrong on my take that Zach Ertz would still be good.
1: No, this is, this is bad. I mean, that I feel like that obviously goes without saying, but in the last two weeks, so in the two weeks when there's been absolutely no Dallas Goddard, when he should have had a total run of the offense where they were just funneling him targets, he should be getting like 10 targets per game. Instead, he's getting only five and a half per game. Okay is he efficient with those targets? No, he's absolutely not efficient. He's turned 11 targets into 15 <laughs> yards over the past two weeks. And no and air course, yards with, either, with by no, the way, on with these no touchdowns. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Um, like this is, this is why he's not getting a contract, you know, like this off season. Um, Darren Waller was extended and you saw Travis Kelsey get his contract and George Kittle get his contract. And Zach Ertz is like, Hey guys, I'd like to have my contract. And they're like, "Mm, you know what? We think you're old. Um, And he's, he's looked at, this is one of the worst outcomes you could have possibly imagined. You couldn't have even imagined this if you were an Ertz investor, like the drop off from last year to this year for a guy who is only about to turn 30 like something something has to be wrong either he's just like aged prematurely or something like relative to the normal aging curve yep. we see at the position or he's injured or whatever it is I mean there there's something that is clearly off
0: yeah the only thing I could really think of to offer here would be that we saw him getting into the mix and a very violent position so early on 56 targets in his rookie season 89 the next then 112 I don't know this is might be a crazy thought but maybe he got so infused into things that there's this shelf life you have as a tight end and he's just coming up on it earlier than other players with that particular you know biophysical profile that he has I don't know it it's it's bad yeah. I don't know I don't know all right well it's, yeah oh go ahead if you had something to say
1: no nothing nothing more
0: to say all right so on that kind of sad note we are going to take a quick minute to hear from our sponsors but please go into this with more enthusiasm than i may have just created even though sports had to break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts plus indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire with 70 Three percent of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free. credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word, BetOnline, your online sports book
1: experts. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show.
0: Okay, so one other young wide receiver that I wanted to talk here to you about, Matt, pretty quickly, uh, Devin Duvernay. For the Ravens, had a pretty explosive run of over 40 yards, and yes, wide receiver, but they gave him a run that he looked pretty explosive on. This is a team where you have the leader in targets being Hollywood Brown at 36, behind him, Miles Boykin, 17, Willie Sneed, 13, then Duvernay at 9. There is definitely not a lot of passing targets to be taken, but ahead of him, there's receivers that just really haven't done that much. self that haven't done that much to establish him, establish themselves. Boy, I'm struggling here. Um, any thoughts on if he could potentially play his way up this
1: depth chart? No, I'd like to hear you talk about him for a little bit more. Uh, no, just joking. <laughs> uh, yes, it's he's intriguing. So if we kind of break what he's down, what he's done into like separate sections, of the season, Um, He didn't do much in weeks one and two uh, saw just a little bit of playing time Uh, in week three, he took a, uh, a kick return back for a touchdown, which he was a good kick returner in college. You kind of assumed that would be a part of his duties in the NFL. And you would normally think like, okay, uh, he returned a kick for a touchdown. They're going to keep using him as a kick returner, but instead In games three, uh, sorry, in games four and five, uh, they didn't have him return kicks anymore because I think they realized, like, hey, this guy is so explosive that he's too valuable to use on kick returns, and we need to save him for our offense. Uh, and so his playing time bumped up from, you know, like the nine to sort of like 12% range that it was in of snaps played to something approaching like 30% snaps played, like just under 30% snaps played, uh, in weeks four and five, uh, and like manufacturing ways to get him the ball. So that, that carry, which he took for 42 yards, uh, he's had a couple of targets each game, which like, that's nothing to write home about, but these are early indications that he has potential and that they want to use him somehow. And, you know, like as, you know, professional, I'm using air quotes of a receiver as like veteran Willie Sneed is in this <laughs> slot. Like, it's not as if like he has an ironclad, like hold on that, on that role. Like at some point it's possible that, that DuVernay could overtake him because like he is a slot receiver that is where he would play and I think with Miles Boykin and Hollywood on the outside and then DuVernay in the middle like they could really stretch a defense uh so who knows if it actually happens but he has potential
0: yep um so while we're there actually and I was going to talk to you about this later but we might as well now just hit cuz i alluded to some of these struggles in the passing game. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Right now sits at QB 17 in PPR per game, ranks 25th in attempts, 24th or excuse me 22nd in completion percentage, 24 in pass yards, still doing pretty decent in the touchdown department at uh 9. Number 2 in rush yards among quarterbacks. But again, i think a lot of people are feeling like they did not get what they thought they were going to get from Lamar. So a pretty disappointing start to the season. Do you see things turning around for Lamar or do people that uh, have him on their rosters just have to accept that they probably overdrafted him?
1: I'd say they definitely overdrafted. Well, I
0: knew that, but you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you have a quarterback who will probably from here to the rest of the season finish in the, you know, like QB four to QB eight range. So like, that's fine. Like yeah. there's nothing wrong with that except the fact that you overdrafted him. But you know, now that you have him, uh, I mean, it's not like you're looking to get rid of him or anything like that. I mean, maybe you can trade him. Maybe he still has the name value and you know, you have someone in your league who isn't that sharp and they're just like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll like to have Lamar Jackson on my team, but uh I mean, you start him you just kind of accept the fact that last year was a supreme outlier of a season um, from a passing perspective, just in terms of the number of touchdowns he was able to get uh, on his, you know, per attempt basis or like the number of yards he threw. Uh, and then also, you know, the rushing, like we know how good he is as a runner. But that that was also likely to be something that regressed at least a little bit, yeah. uh, either because the offense would skew a little bit more towards the pass or because he would suffer some sort of injury, which is what we've seen. So he still played last week, uh, and you know they didn't really need him to do anything because uh, the Ravens won handily 27 to3. But uh, it's a situation where uh, he had only three yards on the ground. That's not at all going to do it because the primary benefit that he provides is his rushing production. So if he's not a great passer and you know, like, maybe, maybe he's improving, maybe they're kind of growing pains. He still has only two interceptions on the season. And I don't know, like was nine passing touchdowns like that's, that's not bad. Um, He's not actually having a bad season. It's just, he's not having like the MVP type of season uh, as a passer with the rushing production added on that people were hoping to get. So, and there's nothing wrong with how he's performing. What was wrong was that people invested too much in him.
0: Yeah, and really the biggest um, difference, that or well, not the biggest difference, but the easiest way, I guess, to see it this year is if you go into the stat explorer and you look at Lamar Jackson 2019, and I don't talk about expected points a lot for quarterbacks, but this is something that we do track. You see him sitting in at a rank of four among quarterbacks in expected points per game. This season, you see him down at 20, but he has been efficient with that workload that equates to an EP of QB 20 playing at QB 13 in fantasy points over expectation. So some of it, um, you know, isn't necessarily that he's just, you know, not playing well when he's out there. It's just that there's more to it than, um, you know, simply just trotting Lamar out onto the field. So and, and here's, here's yep. one
1: thing to kind of keep in mind. So if you, you can do a pretty easy comparison, he played 15 games last year, has played five games this year. So you just, you know, multiply everything by three basically, but yep. he's coming pretty close to having the passing yardage that he had last year uh, to having the interception total he had last year, you knew his touchdown total was going to regress, but this is a guy like for 16 games, he's pacing for around like 3000 yards, passing 29 touchdowns, passing just six interceptions still pacing for, you know, like not quite 800, like 750 ish rushing yards. Like that's pretty good. Like there's nothing really wrong with that. It's just, that is not what people paid for.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Um, Let's move over, though, to a player that is nobody paid for and is giving them a wild amount of fantasy points. And that's Mike Davis, another RB1 finish. Just how good has Mike Davis been? I want to quickly here just run you through um, his fantasy point totals from each game just to put this in perspective. So starting week two, 15.5, week three, 23.1, week four, 22.1. And then week five, 29.9 as the number one running back in PPR. I know we've already talked about it before, Matt, but clearly now when McCaffrey comes back, Davis has to stay in the rotation and his Mike Davis really good. Is Christian McCaffrey not as good? Break down what you think here.
1: Yeah. As you say, he has to stay in the rotation. Like he's too good not to have some sort of job when McCaffrey comes back. Um, I think he actually might be good. Um, He had spurts of productivity uh, two years ago in Seattle, uh, you know, when for a couple of games they gave him some run and then he was, you know, a rotational back. Uh, And he even showed then that he was actually a pretty deep, a pretty decent receiver Uh, with the Seahawks a couple of years ago. He had 42 targets, turned that into 34, uh, 34 receptions. Um, not, I mean like an incredible, uh, you know, like number of yards per target, but like competent enough in the receiving game. Uh, and then you look at what he did in college and like, granted that was years ago. We're talking about a guy who now is 27, but he was really productive at South Carolina. Um, you know, his, his two years there as a lead back. And I think, you know, for someone who's bigger, he was, you know, like 59 220 ish, 225 pounds, like a better receiver than people would have anticipated um i think he just never really got the shot when he was drafted uh by the 49ers like he was drafted in that era where they just had kind of no idea in the the post harbaugh era like no idea what they were doing uh and then just kind of floundered around there ended up signing with uh seattle and we just kind of know that uh seattle not like the most um straightforward or like sensical team when it comes to how they treat their running backs <laughs> or like how they deploy their running backs, you know, like yep. they just, they like Carlos Hyde, you know, that just kind of says it all. Uh, and then it didn't work out for whatever reason last year with the bears. And then now he's here, but like, I think there's a chance he's actually a decent running back based on what he did in college, what we saw out of him in glimpses in Seattle. And then obviously what he's done now, and some of it might be the scheme Um, but, uh, I mean, he's, he's real. Like there's, if anyone had any doubts about it, I mean, they should not have, they should not have doubts anymore. The question is like, is he real only within this offense or is he actually real? Um, I don't know. It's probably a combination of both. Like my fear would be that if he signed a, a decent contract with a team after this, he would just be a guy. Like they would come in hoping that he would be the lead back, and he would really disappoint. And then it would be like, well, you never invest in a guy who just randomly pops off for one year at the running back position. So this is maybe just sort of like the magical season that guys sometimes have. But uh, I mean, I think at a minimum, you have to say there's there's talent here. I mean, he's turned 33 targets, uh, in four games. We're like three and a half games. 33 targets into 30 receptions. Like that's, uh, that's really good.
0: Yeah. I mean, the production as a receiver is really hard to ignore. And the interesting thing is when you go back and you look at his profile, right? It wasn't anything like crazy and impressive. You're probably going to comp him to a guy like, I don't know, like Alfred Morris or somebody like that, but he was pretty agile, which is something that you do see sometimes with these backs that can catch. I'm not convinced that there's really anything about him that differentiates him that much from some other players. But at the same time, when you see him doing with the opportunity what he is doing, I don't feel like that's the type of work that you expect from a replacement level player. I would be surprised if we see him performing this well on another team. But you know what? It might not matter. And for the time being, let's just enjoy it. Um, If he does end up with another team, though, until I I don't know what it's going to take, though, this is actually an interesting conversation for us to have. What should it take for me to change my prior on Mike Davis if all of a sudden next year he's on a different team and he's the RB1? You know what I mean? Because it's like the same thing of how we saw Raheem Mostert look really great in stretches for the 49ers last season, and I was very reluctant to buy it, and I feel like we could be in the same place with a player like Mike Davis. But I suppose if you see a full season of him producing like he did in Carolina, I should definitely make some adjustment upward.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a little bit different. Okay. So one, just like Mike Davis is like the, uh, the ultimate, like running backs don't matter running back. But, um, think with Davis, if he's on another team, it would be different than most because he's being brought in, like if he's being invested in to be the lead back. Uh, that's different than Mostert, who was just there and happened to kind of fall into a role, but there's still Tevin Coleman, still Jerick McKinnon, still like Jeffrey Wilson. If you kind of want to dig deeper on the depth chart, like there are still other guys there who could compete with him and they exhibited some reluctance, uh, about really compensating him. Like they gave him a little bit of a bonus, but they really didn't like invest in him. Um, with Davis, it would presumably be different because like the depth chart would be cleared out a little bit and they would be paying him more money and there would be the larger sample of, uh, of what he did in Carolina this year. Um, there would be the pass catching ability, uh, because moster really didn't do much as a receiver last year, which was like kind of, I think one of the biggest knocks on him, I uh, was at like you know, like if he can't really do it as a receiver and maybe this offense isn't quite as good and he's going to have competition, like he's kind of limited, but Davis checks the box as a receiver. And then there's also just, again, it's going back years, but like there's what he did in college. Like Mostert did almost nothing in college. So, um, yeah, I think you could feel a little bit better about Davis next year if he actually ends up scoring a lead back role. Okay. Well, we will talk about that. If that
0: does come to fruition, I'm going to skip over a couple of things here. I want to ask you um, very quickly what your opinion is of what Devonta Freeman did over the weekend against the Cowboys. 17 rushes, 60 yards rushing, one rushing touchdown, uh, two receptions for 27 yards. And I guess my question would just be, to me, this feels like something that would be achievable for Freeman on a somewhat weekly basis going forward.
1: I mean, maybe it feels like the, uh, the miniature version of Todd Gurley. Like that's, you know, kind of what it feels like. Yep. Okay.
0: Um, Henry Ruggs had his first breakout performance of his career. Uh, but he only caught two passes for 118 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Most of it came via a 72 yard touchdown pass. Now, normally we could easily write this off, but this is kind of something that people think rugs is the type of player who can routinely do, so what do we make of this performance? Do we let uh, do we let it really draw us in or do we still have to temper expectations and say listen it
1: was just two catches? I mean I think this is the thesis for Rugs. There will be some games when he disappoints but uh like you know and remember he's coming off of injury. I think they're going to continue to work him more into the offense. They have the bye in week 6 so presumably he comes back even healthier and the team comes back uh, with solid plans for how to use him within the offense. Uh, what I liked was that he lined up in the slot. He lined up out wide, uh, in week one, they gave him two carries. Uh, I think they really do want to use him. Uh, and so I expect that his usage will increase and I think he will continue to have targets, uh, that set him up for success down the field. Yeah. So what I'm really going to be
0: monitoring with rugs is, is his progression through this year with the hopes of that he continues to progress. And then next year, he's one of those guys that I get before everybody catches up to the fact that they're going to take a big step. Of course, we'll have to catch up on things later if it looks like that's going to be a possibility. Deshaun Watson, his first game without Bill O'Brien, had his best game of the year, passing for 359 yards, completed 25 of 35, through two interceptions, but also through a season high three passing touchdowns. I am really hoping that without Bill O'Brien, we see more performances like this from Deshaun Watson. Do you think it would be fair to attribute any of this performance to the lack of
1: O'Brien? Or do you think it's more a matchup with the Jaguars? I think it was a matchup. I think some of it is just sort of luck, you know, like positive regression. They had such a hard slate of matchups in weeks one through three that things were bound to get better. And, I would still say, you know, Watson is, you know, not a top three quarterback, but I'd say pretty solidly like number four to number six, kind of regardless of like how you stack it, but like, that's where he is. And so I would expect him to perform like that for the rest of the season, almost regardless of who the play caller is. You know what I mean? Like that, and even with a new play caller, that offense is is kind of like just what it is for the rest of the season. Like maybe they have a little bit of a different wrinkle with plays here or there, but that offense is, I think pretty much the offense that Deshaun Watson has been running for the past three years. Uh, I think it will pretty much just be business as usual. I think it's amazing that he's actually done as well as he has without Deshaun Watson. uh, Sorry, uh, without DeAndre Hopkins. Um, You know, not to say that like Brandon cooks is someone who really like compensates, but the combination is sort of like this money ball approach where like the combination of Randall Cobb coming in uh, and Brandon cooks coming in and then will fuller staying healthy. That's the big key. Like those three guys on their like collective powers are enough to compensate for the loss of DeAndre Hopkins, where on a per attempt basis, Watson is actually more efficient this year than he was in the previous seasons with Hopkins. Uh, So I I think Watson is still very much the guy that he was previously. Nice. Uh, Final
0: question on there. Obviously, I think Fuller would be your fantasy number one as far as the wide receivers go. After that, is it Cooks, then Cobb?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yep. I'm not super interested in Cobb. Like he's he's an upgrade on what they had at the slot position before, but I still don't really think all that highly of him. Yep. Um and of course, you
0: know, when you have a performance like um Brandon Cook's did over the weekend, it's hard to not want to uh ex- you know, try that out more than you would with a player like Cobb, although Cobb did have a 19 performance. 19 point performance against Pittsburgh in week three. So the Jaguars, they have a number of wide receivers that are getting some level of usage. And I bring them up because DJ Chark has been dealing with some injuries. If Chark isn't available or Chark is banged up, is it LaVisca Chenault? Is it Cole? Is it Conley? Or is it just, you know, there's no way to know and it's going to be a week by week thing.
1: I think it's probably Chenault who has each game looked, you know, more and more like a professional receiver. Uh, had a career high last week with eight targets, seven receptions. Uh, you know, not quite a career high with seventy nine yards, but you know, back to back games with eighty six and then seventy nine yards. Like he's he's starting to get there. Um, now he just needs to start scoring some touchdowns and be a little more consistent, but you know, he's getting carries, uh, you know, pretty much every game. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Chenault is, he's going to develop and it really wouldn't be a surprise to me if he ends the season as a, like a thousand yard receiver, like he's, he's pacing for something pretty close to that right now. Uh, and, you know, he he could get better.
0: Yeah, I know. I was going to say, to me, it feels like we're already seeing a lot from Chenault, but it doesn't feel like we've really scratched the surface of what is possible. Um, Alexander Madison had a strong game against the Seahawks. Uh, Dalvin Cook was dealing with some issues, as I believe I said earlier. It doesn't seem like he's going to have any serious um, issues that are going to make him Missed time, but let's talk about Madison real quickly. Um, had 20 rushing attempts, 112 rushing yards. Caught three of three targets for 24 receiving yards. We have talked before about how we believe Alexander Madison could be a very good back. Uh, At this point, you have to imagine he remains one of the absolute best handcuffs. I want you to talk to me just quickly about how your perceptions of Madison may have changed. If you think he's even better than we might have been talking before. And then if there's any other handcuffs that you think are up in that class with him right now, maybe just give us a short list of guys to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, I mean entering the league. I mean, entering the year, I thought it was, you know, Kareem hunt as the, the top handcuff, but you know, hunt was really in a tier of his own because he was still a contributor. But after hunt, you had Madison, you had Tony Pollard and you had Latavius Murray as I think like the, the three clear guys. And then obviously like, Hey, we should have included Mike Davis on that list. Although we (laughs) we didn't know it, but you know, like Madison, not to say that he could pull off a Mike Davis, like if he if he gets the opportunity, if uh the injury to Dalvin Cook is more serious than people think, I think he could do a pretty passable impersonation of Dalvin Cook. And and part of that is just because like hashtag running backs don't matter. Part of it is because like Madison, I think on his own is a fairly talented player, uh, with a a a better skill set, a more well-rounded skill set than people gave him credit for entering the league. So Uh, Yeah, just in his second season, he's still only 22. Uh, He was productive last year in relief of Dalvin Cook, uh, has been productive this year as the number two back. Um, And then as you say, like what we saw out of him in week five was pretty encouraging. Um, If he ends up starting this week, you know, like if, if Cook is out, I think Madison, you know, like if he's not an RB1, he's pretty darn close to it. Yeah, Um, I would feel really good. You know, the interesting thing, though,
0: about Madison, um, his combine performance, not that great in that he ran a very slow 40. And it's just funny because, you know, Dalvin Cook, actually overall, I still think had a decent combine, but it wasn't as good as everybody was expecting. So he got knocked for it a lot. Uh, Last player I want to talk about before we close down is Jamison Crowder still did pretty strong. In a game with Joe Flacco, just, you know, another performance where he went for at least 10 targets, caught eight of those wrecks. Every game this season, he's gone over 100 yards, also added a receiving touchdown. There are more players now getting banged up in the Jets offense. Chris Hogan suffers an injury. I don't actually know at the current point what things are looking like, but really, we have a team where everybody's going down. I'm assuming outside of Crowder, we want nobody in that offense. But um, Crowder, to me, still looks like a player that's going to continue this pace.
1: Yeah, so you can look in the Rotoviz Game Splits app. You can sort of say like, okay, uh, if we sort out the games in which Crowder had a subpar quarterback throwing to him, a.k.a. Luke Falk. So if we split by Luke Falk, there are the three games in which Crowder does almost nothing. Then there are the 16 games in which he has Sam Darnold for 15 games and then Joe Flacco for one game. And uh, in that full season size sample, we see 141 targets, uh, almost 1,100 yards receiving, eight receiving touchdowns, 92 receptions. That's really good. That's, you know, like very underappreciated production that you could have gotten on the cheap in drafts. And I think, you know, in the trade market, you could probably still get that. People aren't taking Jamison Crowder seriously, even though he has, uh, I believe, at least 10 targets and at least 100 yards receiving in every game this season that he's played. Now, he's yeah. missed a couple of games, but uh, I mean, the guy is getting it done, and there's no one else there right now. Now, eventually, brashad perryman might come back but i mean how much credit do you really want to give perryman like maybe mims comes back at some point you still have chris herndon but he's doing less than nothing uh i mean it's it's crowder and that's it and even with Le'Veon bell coming back last week it's not as if they just started funneling targets to their running back it's crowder and i think those targets are pretty sticky
0: yeah especially when the back that they do probably the other player in that offense the most deserving of touching the ball it still might be Le'Veon Bell who oh just happens to have a very poor relationship with the head coach so it's just like everything is set up for creditors to continue to eat um on that note Matt I think we will close down for the week um with there still being the Monday night game and the Tuesday night game um the GLSP results, I just don't think are worth me bringing up yet. But of course, those will be posted on the site um, tomorrow. And then I'm going to update again after the Tuesday game. But that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.